Hey, what's going on? This is the Doug Show. It's uh, Doug Cunnington here, and we're recording a bonus episode, Tiger King style. So I have my special, very lovely guest, my best friend in the world, Elizabeth. How are you today? I'm doing good. I wanted to make a tiger noise. Is that the tiger? Something like that. Yeah. I, I think uh, deeper. Wow. They are. That wasn't uh, bad. They're fierce beasts. Yeah. I I, uh, I don't know what they make as far as noises go. So we are going to go through some spoilers today. And if you haven't watched Tiger King, keep that in mind. You should uh, wait until you watch all the episodes. And we intended on doing like a show after every episode, but we actually... We truly binged this one and we were watching two to three episodes per sitting. So today we're going to go through episodes five, six, and seven, right? I think so. We, we tried to sort of separate it out and say, let's only talk about five and six, and then we'll do another one on seven, but they're just, they're too intertwined um, to, to try and forget what we already know. We can't, we can't go back. <laughs> we know too much. I did keep pretty meticulous notes. Well, I had post-it notes and I wrote, uh, there must be about 20 of them there, but I kept pretty good notes divided by episodes. So we're going to try to keep it segmented per episode, but a lot of it does indeed blend together. So we'll also have the normal tangents. We're enjoying a couple beers right now. So first tangent, as you know, we moved into a new home here. And we turned in the keys for our apartment. So that is a chapter that is closed. It's really good to have things closed out. You feel pretty good about that? Yeah, I feel great. feel great. It's, um, we've been here, we've been sleeping here for one week. And you just got the kegerator hooked up. And that is the digression. Yeah. yeah. So I had the kegerator plugged in. It was chilled, but I, I wasn't putting kegs of beer my homebrew that I had, I wasn't, you know, moving it around because we had, you know, a case plus of beer in the fridge. So we were enjoying that just out of cans. And uh, Georgie's so thirsty. I mean, we could hear that. She, she's been drinking <laughs> constantly. Looking at the birds. <laughs> so yeah, today I ventured out and I, I did check with the, what do you call it? A liquor store. I did check with the liquor store because some of them are like, closed, but they do delivery or curbside service. So I called in and they were like, yeah, we're open, you know, social distance yourself from people in the store. But uh, yeah, we're rocking and rolling. I went middle of the day around lunchtime. It was packed. I got in there like at a good time. So I was able to just wait in line. And when you, when you order a keg from a place, you usually have to do something a little different, you know, just grab it off the shelf. Typically, so I had to see what they have, see what they had available, and then they bring it out. They actually brought it all the way to my car, put it into the car, and uh, the the dude was like, man, this truck, like this little cab right here is made for kegs. Like it's a perfect little little spot, and then I could put, put the seat back and really hold the kegs well. So um, he was impressed. The funny thing is, I needed to find what they had available. And they were like, I want to wait on other customers. So can you stand over there while they're bringing the kegs out? And then you could pay. The guy came up with the kegs like two minutes later. 
he was like, let's bring it to your car. I'd be like, cool. So technically I could have like driven off with a couple hundred dollars worth of beer, some kegs, but I was like, I got to go in to pay. He was like, all right, that's cool. Now you went to the grocery store too. Is that correct? Yes. And I heard on one of my work calls that grocery stores now have one way aisles. Did you see that in our local grocers? No. Okay. Yeah. So apparently um, in order to help promote the social distancing, so people aren't passing each other, a lot of grocery stores now have arrows on the floor. So you can only go down one way. And so you have to like weave your way through the lanes. And I believe at the end of the aisles, you can go either way because they're wider, but they're not letting people go both ways down the aisle because somebody didn't, somebody on the call, their husband didn't know. And they went to the grocery store and were just acting like normal and, and they got called out and they're like, Hey, you're going the wrong way down this aisle, turn around. And then he looked down and saw all these big arrows on the floor. They did have for the entrance area, you had to walk in in one direction and then walk out in the other. So that was the closest thing to directional. There could have been a lot of arrows on the ground that I didn't see, mm. but you know, Interesting. I, I walk pretty far away from people anyway in normal life. So <laughs> yeah, I didn't notice that, but they, a lot of places do have like X's on the ground so that you can see how far to stay away, especially near, um, you know, where you have to wait in line. So Yeah. It was mostly normal at the at the store today. Good. So, yeah, but we got beer, and I actually wanted to mention like what were. Um, hey, Georgie, what are you doing over there, girl? I actually wanted to mention. I don't know. She must have been eating something off the floor, so she was scratching the floor or something. She's back. She's good to go now. I wanted to talk about the beers that I got. That was the actual tangent. So you are drinking a. Deschutes Mirror Pond, which is an English pale ale. How's it taste over there? Pretty fresh. Tastes great. It smelled delicious, nice and hoppy. And um, yeah, that is, that is a great beer. We've been to um, the Deschutes location in Portland. So I guess the original is off the Deschutes River in Bend. I don't know where, where that is in Oregon. I don't know. I think it's in Bend, Bend, Oregon. We could have looked that up, but Mirror Pond, great beer. Love the shoots, like the shoots a lot. And then I have a, a local one here out of Denver. It's the Great Divide Colette, and that is a Saison, a Belgian Saison farmhouse ale. One of my favorites since it came out. It's a really good beer, and you can you know get it regularly around here. So got a keg of that as well. Very good beers. Okay. Episode five, and you you did a little bit of research there, and number five is where, what's this guy's name, Joe Exotic? Yeah, Joe Exotic starts his um, political campaigns and his personal relationship falls apart, relationships. So he ran for president, or he put his name up for it, and it seemed like the governor bid was a little bit more successful. What, what did you think of that? Did you know he was going to run for office and did you think he was going to win? <laughs> um, yeah, no, I didn't think he was going to win. I didn't remember him running for office. And this, this whole TV documentary is so recent. I was actually surprised that I didn't remember 
some of these campaigns. Like when we didn't live in Oklahoma, of course, and he was such a, a minor candidate for president, I guess it's not terribly surprising, but they did show a clip of him on like last night tonight with John Oliver or whatever it's called, um, last week tonight. And, uh, and it was pretty funny. So I'm surprised that we didn't see something about it in pop culture. We, I mean, we don't watch that show. So, or topical shows. So not, not to correct you, you just made a face where it was like, man, you really slammed that, but we don't watch uh, political humor too much. So I'm like, Oh, maybe I did see it and I didn't realize it, but it could have been a tiny segment. I didn't mean to shut you down there. That was an excellent point. <laughs> well, he's just such a character. Um, I, I can't remember the exact quote from the episode, but it was like, is the world ready for the first uh, gay big cat owning blah, 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 blah president. I think they are. And it was, uh, it was just such a silly, silly quote. Yeah. I don't remember any of it. And it kind of reminded me a little bit of um, President Trump's campaign in that he was such an atypical candidate. I think he got probably more votes, um, maybe not for president, of course, but for the governor. I think he ended up third and he got like 19% of the vote. And I think probably candidates were just, um, or um, voters were amused and, you know, I think everybody's tired of the two-party system and seeing the same old politicians over and over again. And he passed out condoms with his picture on them. <laughs> like, it was just everything, sort of everything about Joe Exotic and, and what he did was memorable. But it was, it was weird. And it was also just um, very attention-seeking, I think, is what um, some of the other people like zoo employees and people that he interacted with were just like, he's, he just doesn't know what he's doing. He's just trying to get as much attention as he possibly can. And he did a pretty good job. I mean, he made it on an HBO show, like, like you mentioned. So it was definitely a spectacle overall. Was, that's a great word for it. It was a spectacle. And he passed out the condoms with his face on it. He was doing some campaigning at like a rodeos. So my notes are pretty rough. I may have been having a beer while we were watching the show. So the, the notes are rough, but I mentioned rodeos and I mean, people are into it. I mean, the guy is a little crazy. He was a little on the fringe of a few different areas, but basically people would, would uh, listen to him and talk to him at least on the, the short clips that, that we saw there. Some of the other sort of out of context notes that I have. It says, Joe is not a good boss. So someone said that directly. Joe's not a good boss. He yells at people. And he, I guess when the cameras were rolling because they were shooting a, what do you call it? A, a reality TV type show. He would just fire people and yell and be seemed like maybe meaner than he would normally be. That's kind of what they indicated, but I'm not sure if it was really a departure or different than how he acted, but they said he wasn't a good boss, which I could see that. <laughs> I could see that. Yeah, you're, you don't, you don't see real level headed. Uh, hey, tell me your side of things. You don't, you don't see that being a, his core operating, you know, philosophy. I don't think his performance reviews were fair. <laughs> I think maybe he, 
he was a little hard on his employees. <laughs> yeah. When they have to go through the Walmart leftovers for their food. I believe this could also be in episode five. It might be in six though, is where we see they open the pizza restaurant and they more than insinuate. I think they straight up say that they're using the expired Walmart meat that's intended for the cats and using it in the pizza ingredients that they're serving to the public who's paying for it. That was something. And they did show someone who really loved the pizza though. They were like, this is the best pizza around here. I think that might've been Joe in an advertisement for the pizza restaurant. Joe's pizza, (laughs) Joe exotics pizza. Um, Back to your point though, about him being a, um, a really bad boss. I think one of the themes of this, this episode was him. He's going off the rails as evidenced by his political campaigns and the, um, dissolve falling apart of both of his marriages. Do you want to, um, you want to talk about your impressions of his first husband, Joe? I think that's the first one that fell apart or John, what's his name? John, John, his first husband, John, What did you think of, uh, what did you think of that one when we found out spoiler alert, he's not really gay. Well, I want to rewind all the way to the first time they showed John. And I, I think he was into meth. They said as much in, in the show, but his, he has a lot of missing teeth. So, and he didn't in the early clips. I remember I was like, look, he's got both his front teeth. And then later he had many teeth teeth missing and they were his um, living room. It appeared was actually pretty cool. Um, It was very open, kind of an open plan, a lot like where we're sitting now, (laughs) (laughs) but it also had a wood burning stove, which we don't have. So I would say John's place is a little bit nicer than ours right now without seeing the rest of it. I I really like those uh, cast iron, like wood burning stoves. Very cool. I wanted to get one in Montana in our house in Bozeman, but we opted out on that one, which we moved away. But I think eventually, I mean, there's a spot that we could put it here and it could maybe look a lot like John's place. Anyway, what are you even talking about? I think John had a nice place. I mean, just looking at the decor and the thing that was super interesting this is the part that I wanted to get to is he wasn't wearing a shirt like for all of the interviews that he was sitting there. It's like, yeah, yeah. Why don't you uh, take your shirt off? Like, I wonder how that discussion went. It's like, Oh, what should I wear? Like, should I dress up nice? Maybe I wear a suit, look more credible or something like that. Or just, you know, let's go topless here and just show all the tattoos, which was fine. I think maybe they wanted to show the one that, what, what did it say? Property Prop- of Joe Exotic. So I, perhaps that was the whole the whole play, the, the entire, whatever, six episodes. And then later, another spoiler alert, he got the tattoo covered up. That's right. And like the last episode, he was getting it covered up. But it was a very poignant scene to me. Yeah. I think they, I think the tattoo artist, one, the tattoo, and this is late in episode seven, the tattoo artist said, who's Joe Exotic? Which I thought that was kind of, um, kind of wrapped the whole thing up. You know, he was trying to be this bigger, bigger than life figure, all this press, all this publicity. Who's Joe Exotic? As he's covering up the tattoo. And then, I think the tattoo artist also said something like after this, he'll just be a memory 
And uh, John said, he won't even be that. And I thought that was kind of interesting and sad too. Also because to, from his own admission, John said his mind was still a little fucked up from all the meth he'd done. And yeah, we'll, we'll bring it back to, uh, you know, John's stuff here in a second, but I mean, now I think a lot of people know <laughs> who Joe exotic is overall. The stat Elizabeth told me earlier was like in the first 10 days, like 34 different households watched this show. So it's pretty popular. I mean, it's obviously blowing up and kind of an interesting time where the world is quarantined. <laughs> the world is quarantined, stuck at home watching, you know, bullshit television. We, I mean, wasting our minds here and, uh, Georgie's doing okay, but she, she's been scratching. So if you heard a little noise there, she's, I don't know what's going on with her today. She's hamming it up quite a bit. Oh. I, I also took her on a walk and she has sort of her favorite spots to roll around. And it's, she doesn't roll with joy. Like she's not enjoying it. Like you see some dogs in snow, um, just rolling on their back, just looking like they're having a great time. She rolls with a mission and, uh, it's very aggressive and she was doing that today and now she smells so bad and it wasn't anything dead. We, we think it's a smelly weed. It could have been like hemlock, but we live in Colorado. So if you Google Colorado smelly weed, you do not get information about things that a dog could have rolled in. It's, it's a whole different, it's like dank dog. Kush. Uh, yeah. It's a whole different set of sites that come up, but yeah. So she's, she's a little discombobulated. Yeah. Do you think it's the hemlock that's messing her up? I don't know. She's fine. Doug we shouldn't got let such her. A, yeah, he's like, should we give her a bath? Should we fix her? A lot of times when Elizabeth and Georgie go out, Elizabeth comes in <laughs> and she's like, don't be mad, <laughs> but, and then it's like, she broke a nail. Yeah. She jumped really high. She's limping now. We have to take her to the vet. Hey, hey, hey. That never happened. She hit the fence. Well, that happened. But, uh. But she we took fine. her to the vet after after she came back limping. But that wasn't me. That wasn't um, that wasn't when I threw with her. We didn't know why she limped. I think we all know what happened. Oh my goodness gracious! <laughs> yeah, that's true. That that was uh, no, that wasn't. And we didn't take her to the vet when she broke her nail. No, she's very tough. Morty. <sighs> yeah. So anyway. Georgie, Georgie seems to be okay. I think she's, she's at my feet right now. So I think, I think she has chosen. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Well, so that was, that was the John, right? And that was a huge shocker to me because I never questioned his sexuality. I mean, he'd been with Joe for like 16 years. I'm like, well, he's just a gay man. I remember he said, I like pink camo. Cool. Right. So that's great. But so that was a, that was a weird one, but then Travis. But oh, wait, before sorry. we go on, yeah. Basically, yeah, the guy was, John was like, I always dated women, like, since I was a kid. And basically, he was like, I'm not gay. And it was meth. It was meth. So Joe was like. And gifts. Yes. Brought him several trucks, apparently. And, uh, you know, the pink camo, guns trucks. Yeah. So kind of crazy. And I, you know, I've never tried meth. Have you? No, that was okay. a long pause. I yeah. was just kidding. No, no, I haven't yeah. So, it. but apparently 
it makes you do crazy stuff. So I would stay away. If if you're on the fence, you were thinking, hey, I want to try on math. Yeah, just a little tip. Maybe stay away from it. Well, and if you've watched Tiger King, I think you've seen like the dental effects um, on several different characters. But I'd also like to point out, as Doug and I are married and have been married for 10 and a half, going on 11 years, um, I don't give him anything. So I think he really likes me. Because we can't go back later and, and say, oh, Doug was only with Elizabeth for the gifts and the drugs. Yeah, there's there's none of that going on. In fact, yeah. I take things from him. Yeah, that sounds more, <laughs> more accurate. Yeah. But that goes both ways. <laughs> Taking the beer. Taking the beer right now. I, oh. I supply beer. That's what I do. I'm yeah, supplying you with true. beer. Oh, my gosh. And food. Am I the John in this relationship? Maybe. <laughs> I just showed up with beer and food. Yeah, that's actually pretty true. It's accurate. You're like, I'm hungry. You know, that kind of stuff, <laughs> which we'll, we have a whole story about that. But okay. So John, you were very surprised about, I was surprised with John and Travis. So you want to cover, cover Travis here. So that, that was Joe's second husband. They had a, what I would call a light polygamous uh, relationship. I mean, if you want to put a label on it, but I mean, they did have what looked like a very legal wedding. Um, <laughs> I shouldn't say that. Maybe it is. It was perfectly legal. I don't know. But Travis, so Travis, I was never surprised about. He was 19. He showed up there. And when they introduced him, he said he was straight. And then Joe, without getting into the details, was like, are you sure? And Travis said, eh, all right, maybe not. And again, um, then later into the episodes, late into episode five. You can get into the details, by the way. I well, mean, we're I getting, mean, I just, yeah, I, I mean, people have watched the show. They don't have to rehash it. But um, but then in, later in episode five, they straight out say that um, Joe was just plying him with drugs all the time. And he was high all the time and not happy. And he'd been sleeping with... Was it him that was, I think he was sleeping with other women in the park or that was John? That was John. I thought it might've been both of them, but I don't remember. But yeah, I mean, they're just like, you know, Joe was just keeping him fucked up all the time. Um, I thought, I thought both of them. Yeah. Like I, I believed it. But I mean, I don't, I think the scene of when he dies was one of the most disturbing um, sort of like off camera, you know, you, you, you see somebody get blown in the head or whatever. Um, but it was an off camera thing that you didn't see. You were just told about it. And I, I actually said to Doug, cause they have the other Walmart gentleman there, um, is the one you can see. And he puts his hands up to his face and, um, and then you can see the counter at the top of the screen. And I said, that's not paused. That's not paused because the, the guy was so shocked he wasn't moving for a good, what, 10, 15 seconds. And I thought, I thought the video was paused and they were just letting it sink in for effect, but it wasn't like that person literally was frozen in shock and fear and disbelief that Travis had just shot, shot himself right in front of him. It was disturbing. Yeah, it was definitely messed up. And you hear the conversation going on in Gun safety, everyone. So for which we've we've both taken a gun safety class and we've shot you know hundreds of rounds and stuff like that. We have a couple like uh, semi-automatic, just handguns like normal, like a Glock and a couple other couple other little things. And um, yeah, 
you always treat the gun like it's loaded and it can fire unless you like, I don't know, check it five times to make sure there's nothing in the chamber. And that's the thing. So this guy, Travis had a semi-automatic. He was like a Ruger won't fire without the magazine in the gun, which is not true because you can have a bullet in the chamber. I know the, you know, the gun owners and enthusiasts or people that are knowledgeable about guns, which I, I think everyone should probably be knowledgeable about guns because if one lands in your lap, you should probably have a fucking idea. Like, is it loaded? How do I check if it's loaded? How do I disarm it so that it is not loaded? So you have to know how to pull the, uh, what do you, what do you tell the, the, the rack? You pull the rack at the top back for a semi-automatic gun, and then the bullet will come out of the chamber. Usually it's sort of spring-loaded. It pops out. It's also how you like clear a jam. So I know the folks in the armed, armed forces are like, yeah, yeah, we know, we know. But a lot of people, like they've never handled a gun. I have some friends that are from from Europe and they live in, in Canada and they've never seen a gun in real life. They've only seen it on like television and stuff. Here in America, yeah, we're a little crazy. A little bit, but you know, Second Amendment, all that, all that kind of shit. It's actually pretty fun to shoot a gun. And in this show, we've never gone to the driving range. Uh, Driving range, yeah. Shooting range, yeah. Get those golfers. (laughs) We've never gone to the shooting range and then left and been like, "Uh, we shouldn't have done that. That was no fun. Like, it was always sort of cathartic. Uh, And I think the reason why is the focus that you give it is so intense. It's like meditating because you know, like you're handling a deadly weapon. You have to be paying attention. You're very focused and you're not thinking about anything else. You're just like, okay, I need to handle this properly. And you're you know, doing some fine motor skills. You're shooting at a target in a very safe environment. And, you know, everyone is, in the same boat, like everyone's treating this as a very serious activity. So yeah, check out a shooting range, take a gun safety class. Usually you can shoot like a 22 or something. There's not much like recoil and uh, very educational, super intense. And you'll definitely come out of it either. Well, I don't, I don't know the different things you may come out of it as, but you will definitely have some opinion when you come out of it, whatever it is. I think it's great, but you know, shooting a gun's pretty cool. And those motherfuckers, they were shooting all sorts of whatever. And another note that I have here is you got to wear earplugs, man. (laughs) These guys are shooting, um, you know, uh, rifles. They're shooting, you know, what people would call assault rifles, but they're really just rifles. They're shooting, you know, bullets, whatever, whatever they are. It's just a, a term that, that people use, I guess. But the uh, they're shooting rifles, whether they're hunting or military style or AR-15s or whatever. Like they're shooting guns. They're never wearing earplugs and they're shooting like dynamite and other explosives. And it's like, guys, you only got two sets of ears or one set of ears, <laughs> two per head. And you got to protect those things, you know? I know you uh, that you were just in disbelief every time that happened. But I think you're looking at it from like your perspective of like, Hey, I have virgin ears, but you know, I've taken care of my ears. Joe exotic was what 50 something. When this started, he hadn't taken his care of his ears his whole life. I bet he didn't even hear it anymore. 
I mean, I, I agree with you wear your protection, but also like you're, you're looking at things from a very different, these are, these are people who go into tiger cages with full grown tigers, which in this episode was when the one has started attacking Joe's shoes. Like they're, they're, they have a whole different set of uh, risk tolerance and decision making than, uh, than you do. I would not want to be in a gun range with anyone uh, from this program. So you're saying I'm different than Joe exotic. I'm saying, yes, you are. You are a little bit different and not just with uh, your lack of mullet. I mean, this guy, here's the thing. This guy is so ambitious or crazy. One in the same, perhaps. He tried to run for president, and it, it, I don't know how far that went. Maybe they were like, ah, dude, far, you, yeah. you had a couple convictions here. Like, maybe check out governor. So he ran for governor, and he's built some sort of a business. He's so ambitious, but he was so incompetent. I was like, what if he was just a little bit more competent if he had like one decent mentor that was like kind of pointing him in the right direction. He's like, Hey bud, you know, maybe like, well, he did for a while, the Walmart gun counter manager who became his campaign manager. That guy was, was uh, wise beyond his years. That guy was actually pretty good. A yes. uh, libertarian. Yeah. He was pretty decent. I don't think Joe brought him on as like a mentor figure, but purely just the campaign manager. Oh, so, yeah. but I'm thinking like if Joe, I, I mean more like if Joe was like uh, a young 22 year old Joe and he had someone who was like, Hey man, like we see that you want to do all this stuff. Like, why don't we steer you in a slightly different direction? What a shit coulda. I mean, look at Donald Trump. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Similar hair. There's been way too many political references. Yeah, I mean, we turned this into a slightly political show. So anything else about episode five? My last note was, what if he was like half competent? Like, what if he... Now, like I now, said, you gave me such a hard time for talking about low IQs. And I think low IQ is a nicer way to say dumb than half competent. I do think he was half competent. At what? <laughs> At a lot of things. Be specific. <laughs> yeah. Well, well and I, I mean, no, I'm, I'm with you. It's, I think, I think that is not sort of a unique, unique statement to say about a lot of people who've gone down the wrong path that if they had just had a few better people in their life, whether it's a parent or a mentor or whatever, that their life could have turned out drastically different. And as we said in the first few episodes, you know, when I still had a decent opinion of Joe exotic, which now it's totally shot, but, um, he was a hustler. Like he was on the cutting edge of a lot of things. He was willing to pivot. He was willing to try new things. There were a lot of very admirable qualities to the way that he built himself up. But by the end of the series, I, I really have no respect and I want nothing to do with him anymore. If I saw him on the street and he needed money for a cup of coffee, I wouldn't give it to him. You would just give him the cup of coffee. No, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't <laughs> give him, I wouldn't give him anything. I mean, you know, so we're in, we're done with episode five, but um, I mean, he, in the end, he got taken down largely, I think, for his animal cruelty. 
And I mean, it's just kind of inexcusable. My mom would always say crimes against children and crimes against animals are inexcusable. And, you know, that's sort of, I, I, I agree with it. What about people? Well, I mean, Where was your mom? It was only children and animals. No, I mean, no, I mean but you know what I mean? It's, I, I think it's about like, it's, you know, you talk about an, an adult, like someone who can defend themselves, someone who, you know, quote unquote knows better. But when you've got, I think the point is animals and children are totally dependent on, um, on the people that take care of them. And so when you abuse that, it's, it, I mean, crimes against anyone is bad, but when you abuse somebody that's totally dependent on you, that's even worse. Okay. That makes sense. I guess your mom's right. Okay. Moving on to episode <laughs> six. So some of my notes that I have here. It just, it's just for the visual. So Doug and I are sitting on the couch. We're watching these episodes and he has a hot pink post-it pad, which I think Joe would have been proud of. And I don't know, he's got maybe 20 or 30 pink post-it notes and, a sh and he had like a big Sharpie pen. And as we're watching the episode, things would happen. And he's just furiously <laughs> scribbling over there and keeping notes, which I'm very glad he did because they've, they've blended together. Yeah, otherwise these episodes would be really disjointed. <laughs> okay. But so, you see the quality that we have. What you got? So quick, quick note. So Georgie is uh, turning circles like dogs do before she lays, you know, they lay down and she's like looking at a rolled up yoga mat and she's like, can I lay on this thing? Is, <laughs> is this something I can lay on? Okay. Some of the notes that I have for episode six, Jeff Lowe. So this was the player that came in flashing around a lot of money he acted like he was super rich and turned out to be kind of a con man overall. And my note here is that he's a bad dude. All right. And I think that <laughs> the, I wrote that because the journalist, one of the journalists out of OKC, Oklahoma city was saying a lot of candid remarks, like overall, she, she was just telling it straight up, which I found interesting because they were sitting in her newsroom and she was just like giving her actual commentary, not reporting the news. So I thought that was pretty cool that she, number one, did that. And then whatever station that she works for or used to work for was like, yeah, you guys can shoot here. That's great. So they used a ton of her footage and she was just like, Jeff Lowe was a con man. He came in and you know, Joe is crazy in many ways, but he definitely screwed over him and multiple other people as we saw. And then one of the other cool notes is the music videos that Joe Exotic shot were perfect transitions. He has, I don't know if he wrote the music. I'm pretty sure he didn't sing it. It didn't sound like his voice. It looked like it was just lip syncing, but it was shot professionally, the audio and the, the lip syncing it looked pretty good. Like I didn't realize like the first couple episodes that it wasn't his voice. I'm pretty sure it's not. No, the last, I think it was the end of the final episode, episode seven. They sang us out <laughs> with one of his music videos. And I said, that's no way. There's no way that's him singing. It doesn't sound like him at all. But again, he's a hustler. He's finding a way, finding a way to make it happen. And a lot of them were kind of funny. Um, some intentionally, some, I think unintentionally, 
I think, yeah, more were unintentional. (laughs) I mean, they they are funny. (laughs) They are funny. But the thing is with Joe, I'm pretty sure like as long as he is the center of attention, like that's what he wants. So, and (laughs) this, this episode, episode six is where they really dive into the murder for hire stuff. So it is a complicated, convoluted, like, chain of events and eventually Joe apparently exchanged money. And we had a lot of discussion about this because we're like, Hey, isn't it? I mean, at the beginning I was thinking, you got to give me credit here. You don't know what I was about to say. What, what, God, what are we giving you credit for? Give me credit. Cause like immediately when it started, I said, it's, they can't convict you for murder for hire unless there's some sort of exchange of money or, uh, promise of money or some sort of, I, I I think there has to even be more of a promise. Like you have to exchange some sort of payment. And so immediately when they started talking about it, I was like, he's got to pay. I'm like, that's how you make it stick. And to give you even more credit. And then I'll tie it back to the point that I was originally going to make. Like you called that in like episode one or two. And we're on episode six. So way back when they reference, I mean, at the very beginning, they kind of lay out like, oh, there's intrigue. There's a murder for hire thing. They basically are like, here's Joe Exotic, Tiger King. Here's this lady that he doesn't like and they have a beef. He tries to kill her. Like they let you know that in the first five minutes or something. And you're like, oh, that's crazy. (laughs) And we had a discussion because I thought that like you couldn't tell someone, hey, I'm going to kill you. I thought that was like grounds for um, like a restraining order. I thought it was grounds for some sort of prosecute prosecution in some capacity, but apparently that is just free speech. You can go around and tell people you're going to kill them. Is that what your understanding? I don't know if that's my understanding, but to tie it back to this episode, you, how this came up as you were, or one of these episodes, you were upset because when, um, husband number two, Don Lewis, um, to Carol. Yeah. It was tried to do a restraining order and reference that they said, that's not enough. I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not sure it's blanketly. Okay. Like if I, that's true. We, I saw it on a Netflix show. Yeah. Obviously, <laughs> you know, this like, dude was not talking like as a police officer. Yeah. He was just a dude getting interviewed. Well, I mean, he, was, he a was a detective. He was a lawyer. He was, yeah, I thought he was a detective. It uh, doesn't matter, but he, he was like, Hey, it's okay. Okay. He was a lawyer. Fine. It, whichever one, like it's, uh, he said, it's okay. If you tell someone, I was like, that seems weird. I thought if, if you felt like threatened for your life, which husband number two of Carol said, I feel threatened for my life and they wouldn't give him a restraining order. Then he disappeared. That's true. I, I feel though there, there might've been some more complications involved there because they're a legally married couple. It might be different if they were separated, but you're opening up a whole can of worms. I think if you're a legally married couple residing in your common house, and then you say, Hey, I want a restraining order against my wife. Like, I feel like that's not the correct first step. (laughs) You know, first you got to get separated or first you got to move out or first there has to be something else. But I don't think, 
I think maybe that was part of the problem is they were, he went from zero to a hundred. But I mean, I think, well, here, here's the thing where I was confused. Cause I was like, if someone like fears for their life, like I would say things could shift quickly. Like maybe, I mean, he's, he disappeared. Well, yeah, we should look eventually. It up. Yeah. But I do think if I like went up to like a random person on the street and uh, told them I was going to kill them. And then they went, you know, and, and did some sort of police report on it. They probably wouldn't do a restraining order based on that one thing, but there would be some follow-up, my guess would, would be. I would, I would hope so. I would yeah. hope so. So anyway, yeah, when, the, when that lawyer said that, I thought, well, that doesn't seem right. I thought you couldn't physically threaten someone like that, but maybe, well, I don't know the laws in uh, Florida, so maybe it's okay down there. They don't have income taxes, so a lot of extra things going on. But yeah, so yeah, so money has to exchange hands um, in order to convict for the murder for hire stuff. So there was an, there. Oh, we haven't even talked about the uh, strip club owner, that piece of crap, whatever his name was, James Garretson. James. Oh my gosh. So he was this sort of chubby, chubbier guy. And would you call him Chucky? He called him a Chucky. Yeah. A Chucky doll, a Chucky doll. So James apparently started hanging out with the dudes like, um, I guess Jeff, Joe, Alan, Alan is one of the guys that Jeff Lowe brought into the scene because I guess he was, he was a trusted dude. Both of those guys are, I guess, convicted felons is what they sort of emphasized. And Alan had done time. So those four dudes, Joe, James, Jeff, and Alan were sort of hanging out pretty often and talking about how much they hated Carol. And eventually James became a confidential informant for the FBI, right? It was federal. Yeah. And so they even, and, and they, we don't really know why I think just because James was just a turd, but, um, they implied that the FBI had something on him. Who knows why he did what he did. But what was interesting is he got, um, like an FBI mole somehow in touch with Joe to try and push the, the murder of Carol over. And they, I think they were communicating either by phone or by email and, you know, how do you want to do it? Where do you want me to do it? You know, no, just cut her head off, throw it in the swamp, like stuff like that. And still Joe never gave this confidential, um, he didn't know it was a confidential FBI informant, but this person that had been in touch with them specifically to murder Carol, he never gave that person any money, even though he said all sorts of horrible things. So they can't do anything about it. Yep. And like I said, you mentioned way earlier, like, Hey, you have to exchange money. So eventually at some point, Joe ends up giving Alan allegedly. Yep. 3000 bucks, which I think Joe even admitted that he gave him 3000 bucks, but it was, um, unclear if Joe actually gave it to Alan to kill Carol, or if it was sort of under the direction of Jeff to like pay off Alan for him to go away. So it was all under like 
pretty su- suspicious circumstances. And I mean, Joe seems like he did a lot of illegal things and he lies and, and he's a little crazy, but he has a story that actually makes sense in the context of all the people and what actually happened. So I, he, I'm not sure. No, I'm not either. I don't think he, I mean, I don't think he's a good dude by any means, but I don't think he did it. And he even said in one episode that, you know, him and Carol kind of had a symbiotic relationship, like their hate of each other helped build both of their followings. And so I really don't think, well, you see, maybe I'll take that back before all the lawsuit stuff happened. It probably wouldn't have been good for Joe for Carol to go away. But, um, I guess things did really change once she won that lawsuit and he was indebted and had to sell his or write his zoo over to Jeff, but I still don't think he did it. And I, and so when it was finally over last night or the night before I spent a bunch of time just like Googling around and trying to find news stories, um, just background information about all this stuff and him, Joe and Alan did not get along. They hated each other. So why would Joe hire someone he hates to go do this? It, di- it didn't make any sense. It made much more sense. Joe's story made much more sense that he would pay him off. Um, and, and the fact that Alan never even went to Florida. He said he chickened out and like never went to Florida and then just hung out at strip clubs. He said he chickened out, apparently. It sounded like he was on a, such a, a big drug binge. They said he did a bunch of cocaine that he doesn't even really remember. Because he just, yeah, I think right. two or three times, he said, apparently, I chickened out. That's pretty funny. And I mean, yeah, and I, I guess that's enough. But yeah, back to making a lot of questionable decisions when you have um, probably... I don't know, just making up a number, 30, 45 minutes of footage of Joe from his TV programs talking about how he's going to kill Carol and put her head in a jar and shooting dummies and all that stuff. And you're in a courtroom and you show all that video. It may not matter that you've got, you know, a couple sketchy, untrustworthy convicted felons telling their story because you got Joe with his own words on video talking about how he wants it done. That's true. Yeah, he was a little sloppy with that. Yeah, he dug his own grave a little bit there. So one of the observations that I had, because, you know, when we watch shows like this or even Breaking Bad, we're like, oh, how can we launder money, you know, (laughs) Uh, as an intellectual exercise, not anything serious. But for the murder for hire stuff, I was like, okay, so you can actually talk about it all the time. But if money doesn't change hands, it's like just talking kind of weird, but okay. So if you actually wanted to do the murder for hire, I don't know if this will work. So consult your lawyer and all that stuff. But I was like, you should put something in writing where like this money that I'm paying you is allocated for travel from here to there. It is unrelated. I mean, you don't put Mm -hmm. this unrelated part, but like just say this money is for this and have a receipt and have, you know, signed, <laughs> have an accounting trail, pay taxes on it, do the shit you're supposed to do from a federal taxpayer. And, you know, if your state has income tax, like do all the paperwork, right. And like, they're like, well, he didn't pay for murder for hire. He was just paying a bonus to this dude, Alan, to go on vacation to Florida. 
we can't do anything with that. It's in writing and he paid taxes on it. But then why would Alan do it? Like, or why would a person do it if you're like, I mean, I guess because you'll come after them if you don't complete the job. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you have to, you, don't you have to, to trust the hitman <laughs> that you hire. You got to have that kind of relationship built in advance. Yeah, and speaking of that, there was that documentary a while back called uh, Gross Point Blank. You guys see that one? Oh, Gross Point Blank is a great movie. John Cusack, I mean, great, great Mini actor. Driver. Oh, and yeah, Jeremy yeah. Pivens. It's a oh, fantastic cast. Ari. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, I haven't watched that movie in such a long time. And I feel like I maybe only watched it on like the comedy channel or something like that. So I may have not seen like a pure unedited version. We should check that out. What is it, like 20 years old now? Oh, gosh, is it? That's too bad. Yeah, it's a great movie. Yeah. Let's uh, take a quick pause here. We'll be right back. I just had to refresh my beer, so we're good to go now. The magic of editing here. And before we move on to episode number seven, the final one for Tiger King, we we did move into a new home, as we mentioned multiple times, and it took a little while for me to get my office in order. It's actually not in order all the way, mm-hmm. but one thing that was sort of bogging, bogging everything down I have a lot of books and I just had them in boxes. So I needed to put up some bookshelves. So I actually stayed up late. I stayed up till like midnight the other day, really killed my sleep and built those bookcases. I bought a kit, you know, some of those leaning ones. If you check it out on YouTube, you can see the very nice bookcases behind me there. And I think they look pretty good. Yeah, they look nice. Your, your office is going to be fun. It's, um, it's a, the third bedroom in our place that was already sort of converted to an office in the plans and the, the doors are glass. Um, so inside, so you can see in, so it's kind of fun. I think we're still figuring it out. I'm still working from home for COVID. I've been doing that for four weeks now, but sometimes Doug will leave the door open. Sometimes he'll leave it shut and Georgie doesn't know what to do with it. And, when I decide to take her out for a walk and Doug's on a phone call, we'll, we'll walk by and the glass doors and kind of wave and just keep going. So it's kind of fun. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, just having a dedicated room and I like having the bookcase behind me. I've done one live stream, did one today and it was going great. It was like two hours long. Um, had quite a few people hopping in there. So pretty fun. And a shout out to the folks who did the super chat on the live stream on YouTube there. That is what I used um, for some uh, extra equipment and uh, maybe some beer. Unclear if I bought (laughs) kegs with that, but no, I, I don't buy, I don't buy kegs with company money, but I should look that up. Maybe that is a company keg out there and then I could, (laughs) Write it off to the business. I mean, we're recording right now. We are recording for the business. I got to start putting this on the um, the company card. (laughs) Boom, tax hack. But it's very cool to have my own office, and it's one of those deals. Like now, in a very real way, I will be able to write off the taxes for the square footage of that room, and it is definitely only a you know work little office room. Yeah. So. Very cool. Very cool. Very fun. And another thing we're working on is our bedside tables. I made a specific note on that. (laughs) 
because we have a very challenging situation. This is, it's not just a first world problem. This is kind of a <laughs> stupid problem. So what do we have going on? It, which is solved, by the way. Elizabeth has worked super hard on this one. So we have this this nice new pretty house and I want it to look good. And I'm I'm definitely not a good decorator. Or I don't think I'm a good decorator. Great. Yeah. So I had this, we have this bed frame that I really like from like three years ago. And I tracked down the maker and the, you know, the manufacturer or whatever. And I found the other furniture and I'm like, perfect. We're going to get matching bedside tables. We're going to have a matching dresser. We're actually going to have matching bedroom stuff instead of just like this mishmash of stuff that we've inherited from our parents or bought over the years and none of it matches. So our bedroom though has this little recess nook to put the bed into. And you know, that's nice, I guess, right? It gives a little bit more space to the bedroom, but the space on either side of the bed now is too narrow for the bedside tables that I had picked out. I, can you even believe it? I'm beside myself. Um, anyway, so I've been looking for about a week to try and find the perfect bedside table that matches one that matches our furniture and two that will fit in the little recess nook next to the beds. And I think we finally found it. And my mantra with this house, I've, I've been struggling. I've been going back and forth, trying to work, trying to move just so many new things to get used to every day. I don't have to do everything, but I have to do something. I either have to throw old stuff out or I have to put something away. I have to do something to try and move this place forward so it's not so much of a mess. And so today I purchased our bedside tables from the very fancy furniture store called Walmart. And they'll be here next Friday. Very cool. And you and got it, a couple of lamps too, right? I got some lamps too. Well, I'm, I don't feel as good about the lamps, but that's actually, you know, we spent a lot of money on our refrigerator and I think, you know, we'll, we'll scrimp on some other things. We'll spend a lot of money on, on things that we use a lot, but I think the bedside tables we will use every single day. And we often go to bed at a very reasonable hour and we read, um, like the, fun loving <laughs> young adults that we are, uh, we'll read for like 30 minutes before we go to sleep. So the bedside tables and the lamps are actually going to be pretty key. In the refrigerator, we ended up getting a Samsung pretty fancy model. And I went back and forth from, all right, let's get, you know, top of the line, pretty badass refrigerator, or you know what, let's get the cheapest thing that will do the job. I don't really care because I'm pretty pragmatic over the like years. Just I'm like, all right, this is good enough. We can deal with that. We sprung for the more expensive refrigerator as a counter depth. So it looks, I don't know. I think it looks like it fits more in the kitchen and it just looks better. I'm looking at it right now. And the other thing, which you should check out YouTube by the time this comes out, I think I may have done a home tour. Um, if not, you know, just keep looking, you know, keep looking every day because I know people <laughs> really give a shit about what the house looks like. But the refrigerator has uh, four doors. So there's a freezer at the bottom. Above that, there is a Called a, drawer, fle a flex zone. A flex zone that fits, I think, two cases of beer. 
<laughs> I mean, it will fit a lot of beer. Or you can put one case of beer and cold cuts, maybe some hard cheeses, stuff like that. But you can independently change the temperature in that that flex zone too. Like you can make it like extra cold for raw meat or something or mm -hmm. whatever. I don't know what it's set at. And it, it won't go like to freezer temps, but it'll go to like 30 degrees. So it goes close. Yeah. Yeah. Pr pretty. I mean, I think technically our freezer is at zero degrees, but, um, and, and freezers are like way below the freezing temperature. But anyway, and then at, at the, that door is really important. And that was one of the, <laughs> not just cause you could put cans of beer in there, but I really like the way French doors are in general for a refrigerator. That's the two doors that open side by side. However, typically the drawer has, um, you have to open both doors. It's hard to describe after I had a couple of beers. You have to open both doors to open the cold cut drawer. And then from there, we don't have to do that. Anyway, this is a good refrigerator. And I'm <laughs> glad the punchline is I'm glad we spent money because I use the refrigerator all day long, every day. I, I do 90% of the cooking. I'm, I'm the least. grocery shopper. I am in the refrigerator using it constantly. I almost never eat out. What do I mean? Like on a, the normal, no normal week. Um, I don't go out to lunch. I don't go out to breakfast. Maybe like once every 10 days we go out for a dinner or something like that. Like well, we like don't zero eat that often. now. Yeah. Zero in the past month. The last place that we ate out and sat down and ate was Oscar blues in, um, what is it? Lions. Lions. I was going to say the Loveland. original location, Oscar blues and lions right before everything fell apart. Yeah. People shoot, shoot me an email. If you've been to that Oscar blues in lions, it's right next to, well, there used to be a subway there, but I actually had, had, um, a meal over there back in 2002 or 2003. Cause I worked in the Rocky Mountain national park. So if you drove to Boulder, you pass by lions right there. And now we live like 20 minutes away. Pretty cool. I, I love that place. And we almost didn't eat out that day. I was like, uh, you know what? We're probably not going to eat out very often in the near future. So let's just stop. We had a couple of beers there and, and lunch and like. Yeah. After a hike. After a hike. That's right. Yep. Yep. So back to it and we're launching into episode seven now. And that's where a lot of weird stuff happens. So number one, I think one of the first scenes, like they're talking to Alan and Alan was Jeff Lowe's boy that he brought in. This was the dude that was potentially hired to, you know, go down and kill Carol. And he was taking a bath <laughs> with all his clothes on or at least like shorts. And I don't know, it seemed weird. Do you remember that scene? I do remember that scene. Yeah, it was odd. That was another one of our shirtless interviews. Um, and then he, all of a sudden he just starts to lower himself into the bathtub. And I think he might've had jean shorts on at the time. He's he, a never nude. He, he might be a never nude. Great arrested development reference. Yeah, I. as you listen to Jeff Lowe um, talk where you have a reporter for a local TV station calling him a con man. And then you see Alan who can't even really remember what he was doing or supposed to be doing when he left the park with his $3,000. Um, 
I just don't know how you can find the story that Joe hired them or hired Alan to kill Carol credible. It just doesn't seem, just doesn't seem likely or, or if they, or if he did that he was acting alone and that they weren't part of the plot. But yeah, I, I didn't understand the fully clothed bath <laughs> or the never nude bath. The never nude. Yes. Yeah. So a couple, like my big takeaways for episode six, and I'm just going to kind of, lay it out overall episode seven. Yeah. So the last episode, there were a couple issues. So like you said, Jeff just seemed like a con man. Everyone seemed to be a little bit crooked. So number one, and they point this out specifically, Jeff did not testify at all. And he was one of the main people that had like evidence to bring against Joe. The other thing is I felt so bad for some of the employees of the the zoo. What was it called? GW Zoo? GW Zoo? I believe so. So one guy, Eric Cowie, he was the head zookeeper, which Elizabeth, you liked him like throughout. So this was the... Um, tall drink of water. Yeah, tall drink of water. He had long... Uh, Blonde, strawberry blonde hair. Mm -hmm. and Had some teeth issues too, I believe. Sure, sure. But he carried it well, I would say. <laughs> and he had just like a very like Joe, like Joe cool vibe. I don't know. He just seemed, he seemed cool to me. I liked him. He was straight up. Give me a call, Eric. And it was Eric with a K too, I believe, which I really like. <laughs> with with two Ks and, and three R's or something. <laughs> um, Eric... Eric seemed, he was straight to the point. He was no bullshit. They were like, hey, what did you think about X? And he was like, fuck X. That was it. I mean, he just like, he was like, I don't care about that. I give that no thought and that's it. And I buy it, yeah. Yeah, so he was very straightforward, straight to the point. I believed he loved the animals. I did too. 100%, 100%. And there was another guy, um, it was the the manager of the place. I forget his name. I think it was another John so uh, Rinke or something yeah. like that. He also seemed like he loved the animals. And, and I mean, both of these guys worked there over a decade. And I mean, I, I think they probably did some maybe not great stuff to the animals. I don't know about those dudes specifically, but I know it sure did seem like Joe and some of the other big cat enthusiasts and owners were, I mean, they were cruel to those animals in many ways. Those zookeepers and, and the people that, um, like, like John Renke and, and Eric, maybe, maybe they were pretty okay. And I know Eric came out of the courtroom basically crying. And he was like, yeah, I saw Joe euthanize or shoot the animals or, or whatever. And it was terrible because those animals trusted me. And I think, you know, his testimony was probably key. And some of the other scenes they showed, I mean, he had bottles of what appeared to be like uh, Smirnoff vodka handles uh, just around his apartment in the background. And he was, you know, fall down drunk. Yeah. They, they the him, John, Saf, they were all, they seemed like good folks that, like we said, Joe 
brought in misfits, brought in people that had nowhere else to go. And they seemed like good people who had really found a life, found a calling and really enjoyed what they did. And they are, they and the animals are sort of the, the people that got harmed through all of this insanity. Pretty nuts. Yeah. And, Oh, and, uh, they did mention too, the, the, the John Ranky character character <laughs> that, uh, yeah, that fictional character, that real life person who had worked there for 14 years, he didn't get called in the case. And the case wasn't just murder for hire. There were 19 counts. I, I believe two were murder, 17 were animal cruelty. And he was the zoo manager for 14 years. How can he not be called upon to testify on what conditions are like at the zoo. That was surprising. By either side. Yeah, like either. Yeah. Someone should have talked to him. That seems so crazy. It seems it seems odd. The law is weird. The, the law, law is, is very weird. weird. And it's like what you can bring into evidence and, and whatever. One thing I found interesting is they had a lot of like hidden camera through the documentary, hidden camera footage and audio and it looked like Jeff Lowe was recording it based on some of the the footage especially like when Jeff and Joe had like the shouting match where you know every, shit was going you know sideways and I wonder if I wonder if Jeff was able to record that because it was his property so he can record on his property even without the knowledge of the people that are being recorded. Cause I was like, there's tons of footage and I have zero clue like who was able to record it. It didn't look like the documentary um, documentarians like doing that. No, I agree. And I had the impression that it was some, yeah, I don't know. Some of the recordings though, I had the impression they were people working for Joe that were doing the recordings and you had the impression they were Jeff's, but I don't know. Oh, you know what? It depends on the footage. Cause there was some stuff where, Joe was like, keep recording. I don't give a shit. Keep recording. And then other stuff where right. it was like, yeah. So I, I wonder like if, yeah, again, maybe Jeff, because he owned the property at that point, it's like you can record on your own property because it's your property. Side note, in our new house, we have a ring doorbell. So it records a, and you can see when anyone's coming in and out of um, the door. So that's kind of neat. And you can talk to them. I know this isn't new technology, but it's one of the um, perks or whatever that came with, you know, our very expensive house. I looked it up. They're like a hundred bucks. So we're like, Oh my God. Oh my gosh. This is so nice. I can't believe so it's like this hundred dollars. But anyway, my point is this recording equipment probably isn't that expensive and you can sneak it up, sneak it places. And then you have all this, um, yeah. And maybe you're right. Maybe, maybe we have the right to record everything that goes on in our house and on our property. Yeah. I don't know. Should Makes sense. Yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah, I was looking at some of the devices as well and it's like, yeah, probably for, you know, $400, we could like get enough cameras to record all the space around the home. You know? Yeah. Kind of crazy. Cause think how expensive it was. I mean, it was expensive just to like buy film for a camera to take pictures and then get it developed. Right. 
or that old. For people that don't know, film is something that you used to put in cameras, <laughs> 35 millimeter, and they had different sizes too. Yes, they did. So Joe ended up getting convicted. And then I was like, he's working with PETA. So what did what did you think of that part where he started working with PETA? What do you think I thought of it? You thought it was great. I did. I thought it was fantastic. I definitely can have a little bit of an, of a vindictive side and I, I loved it. I loved it that he was like, if I'm going down, I'm taking you all down with me. And I, I mean, good for you. What do you have to lose at this point? So yeah, I thought it was fantastic. And yeah, I, I thought you would think that. And <laughs> I, <laughs> hey man, I am who I am. Yeah. But I mean, I, I can see it too because he got screwed over like multiple times. However, I mean, I do see that Joe probably screwed over other people in his path, but sure. at the same time, like he had the ammo of like documentation, keeping records and just having the transactions noted. So it's like, Hey, if Pito wants to take people down and I mean, from a strategic standpoint, he's like, oh, if I can get out of jail sooner, that's great. Maybe PETA can, you know, lobby for me and help me out there if I can get this testimony. Because, I mean, I don't know exactly how it works because I'm not a lawyer, but I would assume it's probably very important for him to testify. So if he doesn't testify, the prosecutors don't have anything to go off of for like the the other private zoo owners that have big cats in the country that that Joe transacted with. So I think he has some leverage there. So kind of smart for him to work that way. A little crazy though, a little crazy. Yeah. I mean, you got to do what you got to do. I mean, if you're looking at a 20, think what did he end up with 22 year sentence and you're already in your fifties, um, that's going to be pretty rough. That's the, uh, <laughs> that is the insightful, in-depth analysis. It's going to be pretty rough, Joe. Pretty rough. But Dylan, stand by your man. How about that? I would like to, if I could find him maybe like on Facebook or Twitter, or wherever you find folks these days, it'd be interesting to follow Dylan and see how long that actually does happen like how long he does stand by his man do you have your phone next to you look it up while i'm talking here I see don't. if you could find dylan dylan all right i'll go look it up i think um yeah and they were showing him in his uh in his car which i'm a ford guy um my family has always had fords through the years but i am uh, vaguely familiar with some cars out there so it looked like he was driving an ss and i don't know um, specifically, I mean, I think it was a Camaro SS. Um, I know there are, I think there's some trucks out there. There's some other SS type models. I know some people out there, especially the Chevy fans are like, dude, come on, Doug, get your shit together. But, um, yeah, I think it was a Camaro SS, which, uh, kind of a fancy car, kind of fast, kind of fun. And, uh, I mean, right now when we're recording this gas is cheap, my friends, we're talking about going on kind of a long <laughs> drive. I mean, gas is like under here in Colorado, even where gas isn't particularly cheap. I think it's under a dollar fifty per gallon, right? Uh, I don't know if it's that low, but it's low. Pretty. I mean, yeah. just amazing. I remember in uh, I think it was like 
college timeframe, there were a couple couple weekends I remember getting gas for under a dollar a gallon. And if you could imagine, you know, back in, I don't know, the late aughts, as we call it, <laughs> do we call it that? It was like 2008-ish, maybe 2007. I mean, gas was super expensive. It was like four, four fifty, four sixty. I mean, it was very expensive for me to drive my F one fifty around. So, okay. So I just found. Sorry to interrupt. I just found Dylan Passage on Instagram. Um, five posts, two thousand and ninety four followers, following zero. Do you think that's legit? I don't think so. I don't think so either. I'll keep looking. Oh man, maybe keeps a low profile. Okay, it was good to look, but one of my observations, I was like, oh man, I can't believe, you know, the people at Peter are like, Joe is like the devil and they have to work with him. They have to be cordial. They got to work with him. And it's all about having the common enemy. Joe wants revenge. He's trying to take down the people that screwed him over. He's trying to take down other people and just... Maybe get back to his roots. I mean, they showed clips when it was a young Joe back in the 90s. And he was like, I I love these animals. People don't treat these animals right. And their their environment, their whole habitat is being destroyed. And we have to protect these animals. And I I believe, I mean, he looked looked like a, a young Joe exotic. You know, I believed what he was saying. And around that time in, in the documentary, the um, I forget his name, but it was the campaign manager, the Walmart um, gun counter salesman dude, the Walmart manager. He was a smart guy. He seemed pretty sharp. I mean, I hope this whole documentary gets him a little more um, recognition. Maybe he can end up with a job that, that he wants. Who knows what he's doing now? He mentioned Walmart in the show. That's the only reason we bring it up. And he was like, we don't need to be running these zoos on the roadside. We need to restore the habitat, make sure these animals are protected. So pretty smart dude overall. Sorry, I promise I'll come back. I I found the actual Dylan passage. It's Dilbert underscore LCLM. Um, anyway, so maybe maybe we'll follow Dylan passage. I apologize. I'm back now. I had a mission completed. Yeah. Th- I mean, I, I sent you over there, but the cool thing is um, from my perspective, I filled that time. It's like we could actually have a radio show. <laughs> Just keep talking, where keep are, filling time. Where are we now? Are we still on uh, Joe burning him to the ground with PETA? Oh, you were, and uh, yeah. Okay. Yes. And one of the other points that the reporter brought up, this is the, Journalist that we mentioned before, and she was, you know, at the news station and all that. I think it was her. She was like, Jeff Lowe owned this. The zoo was in his name. How can he not be brought to trial for some of the same crimes? Which, yes, that makes 100% um, sense to me. The only um, the only specific animal cruelty crime they mentioned that I remember was the killing of the five um, the five tigers, and so I guess I can see an argument on that count that that all happened before he took over. But I don't. But I didn't. I don't know what 
what all 16, 17 counts are. That's true. And, yeah, and I see he, that. He hadn't been the owner for that long. But yeah, Jeff Lowe, he's got to be going down. That's just one squirrely, squirrely dude. And, you know, to all the women out there, this probably didn't bother Doug as much as it bothered me. And to each their own. We happen to be in a very happily monogamous relationship, I guess. But he's got his pregnant wife there. And she's obviously very pregnant, like eight, nine months pregnant. And he's like, oh, I can't remember her name. Jackie over here has got to get back. Who's to Lauren? Laura. Lauren. Lauren. Laura. Lauren. Lauren over here has got to get back to working out, right? Because she's so fat. Get back in the gym. Yeah. But yeah, she's pregnant. And so then it's like, if you get to pick the nanny, if you get, if you want a nanny, I get to pick it. She might as well be someone who's good to look at her, her, her. And then he pulls up all these pictures of like, you know, very young, buxom, like beautiful nannies. And you just sitting there looking at him thinking, man, you are a dick. You're just a dick. But you know what? Good for them. If they have an understanding and their marriage is open and that's how they want to be, that's fine. But, um, whatever. He just seemed like it. He just, he just seems like that's just one example of the many ways that he seems like not a good dude. And they even mentioned uh, like battery for his first wife, that he had a battery, an assault, you know, charge against her. Um, not a good dude. We don't know the whole story about that first wife, but I'm just kidding. I mean, what is, we, we don't Tasha, know the first. Tasha's joke that we always liked is you have to keep your hand open. I don't know what it is. Yeah, sorry. Daniel Tosh, everybody look it up. Yeah, it's... Um, um, yeah. Spousal abuse. What I was going to say <laughs> um, is that. Unless they asked for it. The, the thing with Jeff Lowe, I agree with you. Those are bad ideas, right? The way he's running the marriage, probably not ideal. <laughs> well, uh, we'll say not perfect. <laughs> yeah. But, who, but whose is, right? To, to each their own. However, the thing that I will say is. He is straightforward and he's saying exactly like, hey, here's how it is. Pretty sure Lauren is like aware. I'm not saying it's right. Yeah, you're right. But at least he's he's like, hey, this is this is what we're doing. And from from the get go, it sounded like it was an open marriage. She knew what she signed up for. You're right. You're yeah. right. Who am yeah, I to yeah. judge? Yeah, it looks like a lovely family, you know, overall. Who am I to Lovely judge? family. Beautiful, beautiful child. He just doesn't seem like a good dude all around. Anyone who's putting, it doesn't have to be a tiger cub, but anyone who's putting a live animal in a roller bag um, isn't probably a good dude. No. Unless it's like, a, I guess if it was small enough animal where they really enjoyed the roller bag. Maybe that's okay. You know what? Georgie might, I, I, but you have to cut a head hole out. Like I could see Georgie enjoying a roller. Like it'd be almost like a little thunder vest. And then she could put her little head out and look around. And if she heard the scary noises, she could tuck it back in. But just as, you know, just to zip it up. I don't know. Not cool. Yeah. I was thinking more like uh, grasshoppers or like, you know, something that would really, or maybe uh, gerbils, you know, maybe gerbils or hamsters would love to ride in a roller bag. I don't know. Well, let's let's get one on the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, gerbils and hamsters are great for audio. 
So that's a really good idea. Okay, moving on. I only have two final points here. <laughs> I only have two final points, I think. Unless Elizabeth says anything and then I can <laughs> disagree it with down. it. Yeah. So this was sort of touching or scary. I'm not sure which. So in the US, they said that there were five to 10,000 tigers in captivity. And then in the wild, there's only 4,000. What do you think? I thought that that's a surprising statistic. There was one point somewhere in the documentary where um, I think it might have been Joe Exotic, in fact, who was saying um, one of the reasons for having these zoos or sanctuaries or whatever you want to call them is the tigers don't have a place to live anymore. Um, just because of the way the world has developed. And so their natural habitats are gone. And so if you don't have zoos and you don't breed them, um, you know, if they can't live in their natural habitat, this is the next best thing. I'm not sure if I buy that. I'm not sure if I believe it, but I think, you know, maybe somewhere down the line that could be true. I have a girlfriend who's done like two safaris in Africa. And my understanding is in there is no more quote unquote wild in Africa. Like it's, it's all sort of some sort of reserve. And I don't know what, what that looks like worldwide, but I would be curious about these tigers who actually do live in the quote unquote wild, but at least my very, very minor understanding of what's going on in Africa um, the wild safaris, they're not wild. They're, they're, they're game reserves. What did you think of the statistic? Yeah, a lot, a lot is similar to what you mentioned where, yeah, the habitat is not there. I think they referenced like a tiger needs like 400 square miles of um, habitat or terrain, territory, I don't know what you call it. And it's kind of similar. I mean, I think back to Yellowstone and just how awesome it is. We lived in Bozeman for four years, very close to Yellowstone. We probably went, you know, 20 times, something like that, 20 plus times. I don't know. That may be, no, that's about right. And we saw, you know, buffalo, we saw wolves, we saw grizzly bears, we saw black bears, we saw bighorn sheep, coyotes, marmots, <laughs> other other things, pikas. Um, a lot of stuff, you know, the habitat is disappearing. And Yellowstone is one of the, you know, sort of great untouched areas. But the thing is, um, you know, there are a lot of wolves that are doing quite well in Yellowstone. But they, I don't know, they, they are not animals wolves specifically where everyone loves them in the area. So there are ranchers and farmers and they're like, you know, these wolves are, you know, vermin, you know, we got to get rid of them. They're killing our animals, blah, blah, blah. So it's like a battle. And I mean, wolves used to be, I believe in all 50 states, I could be wrong. I didn't check or anything, but um, wolves used to be everywhere. Black or yeah, black bears and, um, you know, larger animals used to be all over, but 
humans are terrible and they've taken over so much of the hab- natural habitat that, you know, these animals don't have a place to go. And I thought the wolves were super awesome. You know, we, we are dog lovers here. So wolves are obviously a very close friend, but. But the story, um, yeah, I heard that the wolves that were reintroduced into this section of the United States are not the wolves that are supposed to be there. Yeah. So for the people that don't know, um, I believe if I, if I have it correct, the wolves that were reintroduced back into Yellowstone are sort of larger gray wolves from Canada, which are, you know, they're just bigger animals and they're roughly 100, 150 pounds. I mean, these are big, these are big wolves. And I, there are a lot of different wolf species out there. And I think the wolves that were native to the, you know, high Rocky mountain area up there in Montana were perhaps smaller, you know, maybe they were 50 pounds or I'm just making it up, but maybe they were a lot smaller. So the animals and the game that they could take down were different. However, at the same time, I'm like, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> how, how, how do they know? Like, I mean, I know they could check certain things, but it's like, you're, you're working with the wolves that you got. And <laughs> it was what, some like 25 years ago when they reintroduced the wolves and it's been, you know, good for the environment overall, ignoring the, you know, the ranchers that are trying to raise animals and stuff like that. Um, it was good for the beavers. Yeah. Good for the beavers. There's a couple videos on YouTube. If you just look up like the wolf reintroduction to Yellowstone, it is, and this is uh, you know, a deeper ecological sort of conversation, but it's like everything is connected in a, you know, in the food chain. So the wolves would eat the elk. So I'll come back to the elk in a second, but the wolves would eat the elk and the elk eat small brush and and little, little trees and the little trees grow into big trees and the beavers cut down the big trees. So beavers were kind of like not really around in Yellowstone for years until the wolves were reintroduced. Then a few years later, the elk population was lower and we have some friends in, in the, you know, greater, greater Yellowstone area. And they've been there for many years. And they were like, yeah, you used to just drive past herds of elk that were, you know, hundreds. And you would have to like, kind of go slow on the road. Cause there were so many, so many elk on the road. And now, I mean, you, you, you see them around, but there's not nearly as many. So since the elk population was lower, the beavers were able to eat the, uh, or sorry, <laughs> little elk weren't eating the little trees so the beavers could get the big trees and then make their dams and all their little beaver dens. I think that's a children's book that I just <laughs> that wrote. pretty good. You should write it if it's not. Dirty. <laughs> yeah, so I think, um, I don't remember what we were getting into. Okay, do you have any final thoughts? Because I have one more. No, I think you one. should you should go with your last one here, and then we can do our wrap up or whatever the Doug show prescribes. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't know. I was going to say I thought we were wrapping it up for the last half hour here, but the the last point that I have is: Are there any normal big cat owners, or are they all crazy? 
because we only saw nuts. I mean, it was like Carol, she was trying to do a good thing. Maybe it's unclear if she killed her husband. She seemed a little nuts. You got Joe, you got Doc Antle, you got uh, another dude, and a few others that just, they, they're a little strange. So how big can a tiger get? Like 800 pounds? I I think roughly that, just remembering what, what they mentioned. We can yeah. see if Google. Hey, Google, how big can a tiger get? So we just heard from Google <laughs> that uh, they could be up to 600 to 700 pounds roughly. But on the low end was like 200. And so there are 200 pound dogs that keep people keep as pets. So I was trying to keep a little bit of an open mind and, and think, okay, well, people have huge dogs. People have 200 pounds dogs that could attack and kill them, but it's just not quite the same. Well, we used to be neighbors with someone who had uh, a couple English Mastiffs and they were, one was 200 and one was like 150. And our late dog Brody Rest his soul. I'm looking at some pictures of him huh. right now. He was about uh, 55 pounds or so. And I was a little bit scared when this bull mastiff was trying to play with Brody and Brody was trying to mix it up. You know, he did the dog play stance. And then this other big dog, I mean, it was a big, fun dog. And there was a the owner, which was a kid, walking the dog. The kid was like nine, 10 years old. He only weighed, how much does a nine or 10 year old weigh? I have no idea. 80 pounds. Sure. I mean, the kid was a little bit bigger than Brody, but not much. And this, this big English Mastiff was like rubbing its head up against me and like leaning on me. And I was like, this is like a little tiger. I was like, this is scary. This dog's head is as big as my like torso. It's huge. Well, so Doug got me a book for Christmas called Dog is Love, which I read. And it's about sort of the progression of dogs from wild animals to domesticated pets, our very best friends, and how that happened and what it means and whether they really do love us and trying to prove all of that. And I think there's even a 200-pound English Mastiff, I think there's a very big difference between that and, you know, a three or 400-pound tiger. Um, they aren't domesticated. Maybe they could be someday, but they're not right now. So the short answer to your question is, I think anyone who owns a tiger is crazy. I'm going to just say it. I don't think there's anybody normal who owns a tiger or any other like large exotic undomesticated pet. I think you got to have a little bit of some screws loose to do that. And of a few of the early animals that like, I can't remember the exact people in the show that got like a Canadian lynx or whatever. And I mean, those could be pretty big. I saw, I, I went up to Alaska, I drove up through Canada and went to Alaska. Elizabeth joined me in my uh, parents in Anchorage, but I saw a lot of, you know, 
stuffed animals, a lot of, you know, big game and, and other just large animals, wolverines, lynx, and even a lynx, I think can get up to what, 50, 50, 60 pounds. I mean, pretty big cats are strong and cats. I mean, I'm a dog person, so I would say cats are a little crazy, you know, no offense out there, but, um, they had those sort of starter big cats of like a lynx and funny thing with a lynx, they, they don't have a long tail. They just have a little, uh, little waggler and, uh, it's kind of, <laughs> kind of interesting. It's kind of short. You, you know what I'm talking about? Have you seen a picture? You're looking them up now. No, I'm not. What I was looking up is a book. Um, just making sure I was going to say it correctly. We are all completely beside ourselves. It's a book I won. Um, it's a 2013 novel by, um, Joy Fowler. But um, it's about, oh, is it an orangutan? No. Now I can't find it. I can't remember the type of primate. But it's about a family who has a primate in their house, and they raise it with their, with their children as like a sibling. And eventually the primate gets, um, maybe it's a chimpanzee. I don't remember. Anyway, I won't focus on that. But eventually it gets old enough and strong enough that it's, um, spoiler alert, things don't go well. So anyway, it, it's not just a tiger, um, but but domesticating animals that aren't domesticated that are get big and get strong, I think it's sort of inherently dangerous and risky. And I think you got to have a little bit of a screw loose to do it. Yeah, and I think... Again, I said I'm a dog person, but I think in that book that I got you, Dog is Love, and in, I think it's a book called Sapiens by Noah Shiral, some something. It's a very popular book. He has a series, but dogs like evolved with humans like over time, right? Like that was in the book that you read, Dogs Evolved with Humans. Is that right or no? I don't know if they said like specifically they evolved with humans, but they evolved to be with humans N- near us. Yeah. yeah. And like, I feel like cats are a little bit more, uh, you know, they kind of do their own thing, a little more independent. <laughs> and if they were bigger, they would eat you. Yeah. Just you know? think about like we, we've been, when we lived in a condo, we were uh, tasked with feeding the cat across the hall while they were out of town. And, um, yeah, Doug, Doug was not a big fan of this cat. And what, it's 15 pounds, but um, you, it was just unpredictable. It would I think love it was you. only like eight or not. I mean, it was a, it was a little cat, right? Or was it, was it 15? I don't know. It does, it's a big boy. But uh, yeah, you, you, you're like, I'd go, his name was Cassie. And you'd go in and you'd pet Cassie or whatever, and you'd try to be nice, and she'd snug up against you, and then she'd turn and just scratch you. And you're like, fuck this cat. That's like a... 10 pound cat, like multiply that by like 20 or 30 or 40. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine? Even just like three. You would live with a normal cat, like a house cat. You would be, you would. And then you have people, you know, friends or people we know that have cats that like the cat will perch on top of a door or something and like swipe them as they go by and they think it's hilarious. (laughs) I'm like, thing is stalking you. Yeah. Cats, a little crazy, but dogs, uh, they, they evolved with us or near us or whatever. So like, and they, 
Yeah. So, so they, I trust dogs. You know how they have toy dogs, like mini, mini Aussies and mini whatever. What if they could breed mini tigers? That'd be Ooh. pretty cool. I don't know. I mean, you already have like normal house cats that are <laughs> slightly evil. Yeah, that's true. Why do you want to make them have bigger teeth? All right. So I think the consensus is anyone that would own a big cat or a non-domesticated type animal as a pet, there's something a little odd. Yeah, I agree. Something a little odd. So a couple final questions from me. Number one, did Carol Baskin kill her second husband, Don Lewis? I think so, yes. You did some a little recon work. What'd you find out? I did a little recon. Um, yes, I think she did too. Uh, Doug's big question, which was in one of the other bonus episodes, was there a plane missing? No, there was not a plane missing. And whatever um, site I found on the internet, some probably bullshit site, but whatever site I did find said Carol and Don were supposed to leave for Costa Rica together that morning. But her story is he went to do an errand before they left and then never came back. So my theory is that there was, I don't think it was premeditated. There was some sort of um, scuffle. You know, he's, he said, I'm leaving you. You're not coming with me or something happened. And maybe it was like a crime of passion. She pushed him down the stairs or whatever. But yeah, I think she did it too. And then second question, do you think Joe actually paid Alan, that guy, the $3,000 to go kill Carol in Florida. Do you think he, he did the murder for hire? No, but I think it's a little more nuanced. I think he gave him $3,000, but I don't think it was yeah, for yeah. the murder for hire. It wasn't for murder for hire. Yeah. So I think, and they kind of talk about it in the show, but it sure sounded like Joe was instructed to pay Alan to get the fuck out by Jeff. And again, all those characters, Alan, Jeff, Joe, perhaps are not the most trustworthy. It's like they will tell the story that serves them. Alan seems like he was generally telling the truth. However, it seems like maybe he got the money, but he is telling a story that fits his narrative. And he did seem sort of crazy enough. They were like, Hey, they, they interrogated me multiple times. And they, I think that's what they do based on what I've learned from watching the wire (laughs) and other, another crime crime shows, crime scene, scene of the crime. Um, I think we've learned, I can't remember what show specifically we learned this from. Oh, goodness gracious, making a murderer. So, um, you're arrested. Somebody asks you questions. What do you say? Lawyer, you yep. say nothing. Lawyer, don't lawyer, don't answer anything. No, you don't want to be a Brendan Dassey. You do not want to be a Brendan Dassey. Good grief! Yeah, <laughs> like, and I don't, I don't know much about anything, but like, if, yeah, if I ever get called in for anything, I'm just, I'm not answering any questions. Like, no. it could only work against you. I mean, they tell you you have the right to remain silent, but even before that. I'm not answering anything. And apparently, again, from all the all the things I learned from making a murderer and The Simpsons and this show, 
<laughs> oh, something else I saw in my research too. At some point they asked Carol if she would take a polygraph and she said, no. And I, I actually, I'm on her side on that one too. Cause I think there's very conflicting scientific evidence around polygraphs. And she was, and I think the statement that I read was that in no way is going to help me. Yeah. I wouldn't do a polygraph either. Yeah. Yeah. So don't, if you ever get arrested, don't answer any questions. Don't answer anything. Yep. You literally have the right to remain silent. And you're like, am I being arrested? And if they say no, then you could leave. You could leave. They'll try to keep you from leaving, but you could leave and you could ask for a lawyer. They, I think they could try to like sweat you out a little bit and be inconvenient, but it sure seems like if they're not arresting you, then you can leave. I I think there's like a, depending on the state or whatever, there's like a 24 hour hold or something that they can hold you for a certain amount of time before they charge you. But they, but if they, once that time limit is up, if they're not going to charge you, you got to go. And I know one of, one of the things is, you know, if you, if you don't, if you don't get sleep, you become very irritable. You know, that happens to me sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) If I don't get enough sleep, yeah, I'm a little, little grouchy, but if they try and keep you up, feel free, take, take a nap. You know, they'll try and keep the lights on. Um, use your COVID-19 mask that you should be wearing. You pull that up over your eyes. This just transitioned into a, what to do if you ever get arrested. And so far it's lawyer, um, take a nap and try to leave. Yeah. Well, if you're not arrested, leave but don't try to leave if you're arrested that's not going to work <laughs> so the the order of operations is super important just like math i know you're a fan of math right okay i think this is where we close it out any parting words on joe exotic or the whole show it's it's a cultural phenomena right now everybody's talking about it um there's one bonus episode coming up which we looked up the trailer for Joel McHale, who is um, one of our favorite comedians or one of our women we really like. We actually saw him do a show in Georgia at the Cobb Energy Center. Center. Yeah, so it was pretty good. Um, So we like Joel McHale. So there's a great ad for his special. And by the time this airs, it might already be out, but he had a great uh, Netflix tattoo right near his crotch, um, sort of pimping the property of Joe exotic tattoo that, uh, his first husband had. So, um, and he was shirtless in a cowboy hat. So based on the promo, at least it's going to be pretty funny. Um, I'm not sure if I'm happy. I watched the series. Honestly, I don't know if I took anything positive out of it. It made me a little bit sad. Um, it was just either untrustworthy, unlikable people or the people that they were taking advantage of. And that, and that made me a little bit sad, but like I, like we said, I think I, I didn't feel like we could pass it up with as much chatter and as much, um, media social presence that it was getting. I mean, it's, everybody's talking about it. I don't want to be left out. You don't want to be left out. No. Yeah. We love Joel McHale. And I was going to say, um, he's in community. And if you haven't watched community, I think like all this is coming together really well. 
And Community, this is a TV show about Community College. It's now going to be on Netflix. So it was one of those shows that Elizabeth and I watched. Like when it came out, we really liked it. And every half season, it was like threatened to be canceled. So it's going to be on Netflix. Joe McHale is hilarious. All the people in community have gone on to do like awesome shit, like overall, almost everyone. Um, yeah, so it was pretty funny to see. What do you call a tramp stamp that's in the front? That's what he had. <laughs> you should, I don't know, coin a phrase for it. Oh, man, okay. A Joe Exotic. <laughs> that's what you call it. It's a, a Joe J-E. A Joe Exotic. Hold on. J-E-T. Are you going to you gonna Google this? Yeah, close this? it up and I'm going to, um, I'll, I'll ask. Should, should I pause it or do we end it here? Well, you can end it real quick. Or I mean, right. talk about it while I'm looking it up. All right. She's over there typing. Okay. I think we're just going to end it here and we'll, I'll give you an update on the next episode. Maybe we'll do a YouTube video on what she finds. So thanks a lot for listening. This is uh, the oh. end of the Joe exotic. Okay. okay what do we got? So um, we already mentioned the lower back tattoo called the tramp stamp. Tattoos on the buttocks can be called ass stamps or butt buttons. Depending on how big they are, a tattoo on the front of the hips can be called a hip check, or if it extends across the pelvis, a pelvic girdle, a PG. <laughs> a pelvic girdle. <laughs> but I like Joe. I, from now on, it's a Joe exotic for me personally. All right. That's cool. So this is the, the pelvic bundle here. <laughs> and uh... <laughs> Thank you for listening and helping us get through a Friday night in quarantine. Have a good one out there. Bye.